Hey there listeners, welcome back for another episode. We're going to quickly blast through some news so you can get to the episode proper. First of all, Tina Ola's crowdfunding chronicles continues. I say this a lot, but it's just ongoing. Tina's a workhorse. Thanks, Tina. Keep on top of what you do. Uh, this one, uh, she's talking about Roots of Pacha, which looks just great. Farming sim, Stone Age. I'm hoping there's some dinosaurs, wolves. I don't know. It looks pretty great. And it's definitely in my wheelhouse. And uh, yeah, go check it out and see if you want to fund it before it closes off. On this episode of The Art Hasn't Already Given It Away, we're talking about Project Triangle Strategy. And Wes Illiff has written a great feature covering Project Triangle Strategy's invisible feature and the trials of gaming while colorblind. Uh, to, yeah, essentially address colorblindness in games since it's something that Wes deals with. And it's an accessibility issue that doesn't always get thought of or covered, but I think more developers these days seem to be making it a priority when they do their development, so that's pretty cool. Uh, going way back in time, Neil Chandran was taking a look at Pokemon Sun and Moon in uh, his feature, where he talks about the ugly side of Paradise, a deeper look at Pokemon Sun and Moon's Team Skull. Uh, which, yeah, just seems to address youth culture in Hawaii as far as I know, which is kind of neat. So uh, go check out his feature if you want to see, uh, I guess, some more thought put into the world of Pokemon. And our last big feature comes from Giancarlo Vasquez, which, uh, if you're a Xenoblade fan, is going to be right up your alley. Xenoblade Chronicles is affinity for relativity, and uh, it kind of talks about the, the communal aspect of the side quests in the game, and that uh, they really just don't exist in a void. Like, a lot of them seem to matter and mean something in this ginormous world that Xenoblade Chronicles has created. So go give that a read. And once again, we've got a pile of reviews, so I'm not going to go into all of them. Otherwise, again, it's going to eat up all the time in this intro, but uh, you've got some highlights in there to take a look at. There's a few graphic adventures in there, like Half Past Fate, Romantic Distancing, uh, and the first episode of Scarlet Hollow. There's a neat traditional RPG, rhythm RPG mashup that Alana took a look at and uh, gave the RPG fans editor's choice. My review for Ocean's Heart is finally up, and uh, I love that game, so if you want to find out why, go read that review. And then there's the DLC for The Outer Worlds, Murder on Eridanos, which Jono goes into a little bit on this episode as well. And then there's a few previews, because we got Chernobylite coming up, the Monster Hunter Rise demo came out, the second one, and Good Night Night. Want to see some up-and-coming RPGs? Go check that stuff out. And that's it. Uh, my brain's all over the place. It's been a long weekend. And been a long week in general, but uh, enjoy this episode of Random Encounter where we uh, talk about games with underlines in the titles. Listeners, hello, welcome back. It's me, Greg Downwich, here with another episode of Random Encounter. We're up to 210 episodes. Uh, I just, like, imagine now Mike Solosi just kind of scoffing anime style with his, like, far too shiny glasses of pathetic 210, you know, kind of situation. Uh, well, you don't have to imagine, because he's right here. Right? Are you doing that, Mike? 210 <laughs> is a perfectly admirable number of podcasts to record. Mm-hmm. You should be proud. Two ten is a very nice number. <laughs> uh, 
Michael Solosi is joining us from the realm of Retro Encounter. Mike, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's uh, great to visit the realm of Random Encounter this time. Yes, we'll journey to all the realms. Um, we have John O'Logan, my uh, illustrious co-host, back again to keep me on task. Hello, everyone. So yeah, we've got some newcomers to Random Encounter on the podcast as well. So let's welcome Nicholas Whaley. Hello, hello. Hello, Nicholas. And Brian McKenzie on the team. Hey, nice to be on. Uh, nice to have you. So we are here to talk about RPGs. Uh, we have some specific games in mind that have launched recently. But before we get into that, uh, we'll go jabber a little bit about other stuff people are playing that may or may not be the, the hottest, latest, greatest releases. Uh, this podcast uh, was just slightly delayed due to technical difficulties when we first tried to record it. And I even would have liked to have recorded it sooner. But I had a COVID-19 scare at home and got myself locked in isolation. But I thought for some reason that was the opportune time that uh, I should defeat Ganon finally. And I uh, finally beat the original Legend of Zelda on the NES for the first time ever. That game is rad. That is an outstanding way to spend a COVID quarantine. <laughs> it really was. I mean, I had it on the 3DS, so it wasn't like the most authentic, exper- authentic, the most authentic experience. But it was still, it was still handy. I didn't abuse um, the the whole virtual saves or anything like that um i just yeah played it as per normal i did have a map open i'll admit that just because otherwise if i was my kid self i probably would have been drawing the map as i went but i just did not have the means so well, well the the original version did come with a map so uh like oh, there we d- go yeah j- just to make finding dungeons six seven and eight you know somewhat reasonable in the in an era with no or barely on our internet but yeah and you also beat it uh i guess Probably very close to the 35th anniversary, which was in uh, late February. Yeah, I was I was in the Zelda mood, that's for sure. It's a good way to ring in the anniversary. It was. It was that rite of passage I just have never done. I've only ever gotten as far as really building, really beating the first dungeon, and I maybe like accidentally found some of the far too difficult ones, but that game it's is such, really well constructed. It's such a good game. I mean, it it's, is. It's basically a well i guess it was the prototype for breath of the wild yeah in many ways like i mean the only thing really i find holding it back from modern day the graphics i don't know i don't mind them personally especially with so much retro makes these days it's they're almost uh uh, in again but it it obviously controls a bit clunky but otherwise like the the dungeon finding the the way you can like figure out the secrets to defeat the main bosses almost instantly like all that sort of stuff is just really really well integrated and just really satisfying when you find it it's just it's such a cool game it was so ahead of its time it feels <laughs> it was it was great yeah now you get to move on to the best game in the series adventures of link <laughs> uh over to you john what have you been playing lately <laughs> Uh, I just finished the DLC, the last DLC for The Outer Worlds. Mm, and, how's that hold uh, up? I really enjoyed The Outer Worlds, and I really enjoyed its previous piece of DLC. Yes. This hit me a little bit less so. Um, I, I'm not sure why. Maybe I'm just a little tired of it, but I think it more likely being... The second DLC was great, I thought, because it really committed to the premise of being a noir... Uh, a noir experience it was there was a lot of pastiche and it. it was it was very good uh creating that atmosphere whereas the new dlc 
is it doesn't it doesn't feel like it commits to its premise. You're invited to a hotel where a celebrity uh, has, where a celebrity who is a guest has been murdered in the ballroom, and you are hired as an investigator uh, to figure out who killed her. And at first, I thought it was going to be like an Agatha Christie style murder mystery sort of thing, and that's what they set up. I mean, there's a lot of the the Agatha Christie archetypes, and then it just sort of loses that focus and starts going back into many of the themes that were in the original game to the point where like Luigi's Mansion Three or whatever it is. <laughs> Uh, no, that would have been funny. Um, <laughs> it just didn't feel quite as... Even inspired is the wrong word. It was it was a perfectly serviceable piece of DLC. If you enjoyed the original game, uh, there's no reason not to get it. You'll like it. You'll have a good time with it. But the reality is, I feel like The Outer Worlds is done for now. Like They've done everything that they can with the original game. If they want to continue with The Outer Worlds, I think they need to really go all out on a sequel create new corporations yeah create new corporations go to a new system um the world that they created i think is pretty resilient and very interesting um and the corporations are a fascinating way to examine how governance works in these uh systems and religion and society so i think there's a lot that could be done there but it's just not i mean the outer worlds was never it was never a triple a game it was a double a game that you know it it really uh it really reached, and I think that it excelled in many ways, but I think that it's just it's just done. It's readily it's just, ready to get its tabletop version and move on. Yeah, I think they need to do a sequel, <laughs> uh, and I think that they should just leave this as it is. Um, there you go. It's, not, it, it's my understanding, like, this is a standalone experience and had many of the same irritations that the first one had. Like, once you beat the DLC to see the endings of the DLC, you need to beat the game. I understand that they are fixing that. Uh, come release day where you can complete the DLCs after you finish the uh, core game. But yeah, which will have launched by the time this episode is live. Yes, it will. So I am not, I am not breaking any confidentiality agreements. Um, and I did not dis, I did not dislike it. <laughs> well, the corp will get you. Uh, yeah. Um, I did not dislike it. I did not love it. It was a perfectly acceptable way to play a few hours of a, expl- a few hours of a, decent rpg actually no i'll tell you one thing the one thing that really did that really did bug me about it was in all of the other uh and the other dlc in the core game choice plays a major role and something that the outer worlds i thought did a very good job uh of uh of putting the player through the ringer in the sense that yeah there's there's the good choice and there's the bad choice but there were always shades of gray within those two even if you choose the right answer or the the honorable way some people might get hurt or there's always a downside you always need to make tough moral calls uh and i like that and in gorgon you are provided with two very legitimate points of view and you need to choose uh one or the other in this game those moral quandaries aren't really there you kind of i'm not i'm not going to spoil the plot but you're kind of your two choices are you can either choose the right thing to do or you can choose the sociopathic thing to do without any redeeming reason to do it if you choose it you're just doing it because you want to play as an evil character but there's no i don't feel anyway there is any uh any real reason to do it like the the rationale 
yeah, the rationale that's given, unlike in the rest of it, is very it's it's paper thin. It's it's not really there. And that bothered me. Back to like the classic stuff, like the basics of like Fallout Three and Skyrim and stuff, where they're really yeah, it was just basically those two options, not a lot of nuance in between. Well, I was, yeah, that's the thing. There's a reason I like to, you know, you, you play it and then you can play another, you can do another run through of these RPGs to see uh, what the different endings are. And uh, in this particular case, I completed both endings, but I did not, I, I didn't feel a real reason to do the evil one just because it was like, well, there's no real, there's no real reason to do it aside from you just want the world to burn. And I'm not a world to burn kind of player of RPGs. <laughs> I like even if even if the world is burning, even if I'm playing as a selfish character, I at least need there to be some kind of rationale behind it. It's just the kind of play. It's just the way I play these games. My my brother-in-law, when I told him how I played Fallout Four originally, oh, yeah. and I told him, I, he said, "You're playing the game wrong." Um, and I Some am. People just I want to pl- troll. Yeah, I was playing the game wrong from a certain point of view. That's the wonderful thing about RPGs. But for me. I need if I'm going to be evil, I need there to at least be a reason to be evil, not just <laughs> because fair. I want to be a huge dick to everybody. So yeah, uh, it was a perfectly uh, it was a perfectly fun way to spend a day. Uh, if you already own it, I can't see your and you enjoyed it. I can't see a reason not to get it, but yeah, not a reason to pick up the original. The reason to pick up the original is the original. I think it's a good game. Gotcha. You could live with it, live without it. Um, cool. Yeah. Do we know much about Avowed since they announced it a year ago? Because I mean, I was trying to think of what Obsidian has been uh, has been up to, other than uh, Outer Worlds DLC. And I I remember they announced Avowed. Oh, I vaguely remember that. Uh, yeah. Like I think I think it was around when Microsoft bought them, or maybe a little bit after. But it, it's because I, th- I think John, you mentioned um, what has what have they been doing besides uh, Outer Worlds and. I, I I don't know anything about that game other than its title, I think. Uh, as I understand it, Avowed is going to be a first-person RPG. They're going to set it in the same world as their uh, hit uh, hit series, Pillars of Eternity. Mm, right, um, right. And I mean, because it's Obsidian, obviously people are going to be... Because Obsidian did fall at New Vegas, people are going to be looking at this and they're going to be probably calling it Obsidian's version of, uh, of Elder Scrolls. Yeah. But... I personally hope, like, they are not, from my understanding, this is not going to be a double-A game. This is going to be a full-blown triple-A RPG experience. So I don't think we're going to be hearing anything about this for at least, I don't know, maybe a year. Maybe maybe this E3, though. I mean, they might mention it this year's E3, but I think anything they're going to show at this year's year's E3 is not going to be, uh, it's going to be a proof of concept more so than actual gameplay i might be wrong about that but i feel like this might be a little ways in the future we haven't heard about we haven't heard anything about it for quite some time so now that they're done the outer worlds uh you know their focus will obviously be falling onto this game and i mean you you compared it to elder scrolls which i think is fair but uh pillars of eternity is definitely their version of a Baldur's gate or or one yeah. of those one of those old infinity engine games so, so i mean it's a little reductive to say that obsidian sort of takes popular western rpgs and delivers their own interpretation of them over and over uh but they're at least good at it <laughs> i i i i really liked <laughs> i really fair. liked my time with pillars of eternity and i i haven't played outer worlds but i'm at least you know like the mass effect part of my brain is at least curious about it so uh yeah good, good on them hope about's good
I hope it is too, and hopefully they give it the time it needs to uh, actually be good. Yeah, I mean, if they can make the sword fighting combat more fun than anything that's been in Skyrim or uh, any of the Elder Scrolls before, then it's already going to be heads and tails above that, because it's just, that's why I go bows in that game. It's just so drab, just swinging a sword. If you use a sword in Elder Scrolls, you're playing it wrong, Greg. Clearly, uh, I should be using a uh, mass of cabbages that I roll down on unsuspecting villagers. Oh, mods. Any rate, uh, uh, what else have you been playing solo series? It mostly just been our uh, our topical game of the episode. Um, uh, before we go into that, I have been mostly been playing games uh, dedicated for another podcast. Uh, so I may have heard you, of that podcast. Right. Uh, it's uh, so you can uh, listen to Retro Encounter if you want to see the, what games I've been playing for most of 2021. But I've also been uh, I've been bitten by a gacha bug, somewhat unfortunately. Um, in January, mm. uh, Square Enix released Dragon Quest Tact, which is the second Dragon Quest gacha. The other one, Dragon Quest of the Stars, I think is still around, but I, it, it, uh, it I'm not really interested in it. Uh, but Dragon Quest Tact is basically a um, a mobile RPG where uh, you recruit monsters from the Dragon Quest world and do a silly story where you're trying to help a village of monsters. Uh, thrive and survive and enter a monster tournament it's uh it's a fun time-wasting kind of game the the combat is grid-based kind of like fire emblem heroes uh you collect uh dragon quest monsters and level them up and level up their rank and level up their awakening rank and there's a, a, a bunch of ways to throw time and hours and dollars into them uh, and I think that most of the gameplay stuff is pretty is pretty good. Like like the monsters themselves look cool and cute and animate nicely. The 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 combat itself is not bad. Uh, the different customization options like weapons and armor and skills is is those systems are reasonably deep for this kind of game. Um, but it is limited by a stamina stat that uh, you know you only get so you unless you right. uh, unless you use tokens or spend money. You, there's only so much activities you can do in a in a given day. And uh, the actual gacha elements themselves, like the the uh, the drop rates and how many times you can try to roll for new monsters, and and the rarity of those rolls for new monsters, those are pretty heinous. Uh, I think it's a I think that your chances of getting an S rank monster on a roll is three percent, which feels Oof. low. And uh, I mean that sounds high, but yeah, it's, it's usually I, it's like a point zero something or other, but yeah. Yeah, but like they they don't give you a lot of pulls, and the chances for good monsters on pulls ah. are pretty low. And uh, and once you clear the story content, um, uh, which of which there's a medium amount of, and they give you a lot of nice rewards. Uh, but once you clear all of that, the like the trickle of tokens or it's gems in this game, but like the the uh, the rate yeah. at which you accrue gems is pretty slow. So I, I think like this is a fun game for the Dragon Quest things in it and for the basics of gameplay, but uh, throwing a lot of money into it or a lot of time into it, I, I think it the value of it plateaus pretty pretty mm-hmm. sharply. Um, but, uh, but I'm enjoying my time with it. I did get lucky with a couple pulls and have, uh, oh shoot, either seven or eight s rank monsters. Um, I've, I've only spent a little bit of money. I, I, there was a $1 like beginner's bonus that you could uh, get in the first month that I, that I, did not mind throwing a dollar in the tip jar for, uh, but I, I don't yeah, recommend. Yeah, I don't recommend spending medium or large amounts of money into this game. Uh, but if you like seeing, you know, King Slime's 
animate and uh, and and uh, great dragons sort of do a little hustle dance every time you win a battle. <laughs> this is this is a as good a place as any for that. I was really hoping it was going to go in the way of uh, Dragon Warrior monsters and such, but uh, so you, but it's yeah, it's I guess the tact makes sense that it's much more tactical as opposed to like the little dungeon exploration Pokemon esqueness. There's a a little bit of a Pokemon element because you are collecting monsters a lot, right? And 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 if you collect a duplicate, uh, it your monster awakens. There's like a separate level for how many dupes you've gotten that boosts your monster. So you you're not okay. You you don't collect like if you pull a bunch of heal slimes. You're not. You don't have five heal slimes. You have a heal slime with an awakening rank of five or uh, or, 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 or whatever, or whatever it, is. it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's a there's a uh, there's a a number rank and your a regular level and an awakening rank and there's a, it's just, there's just a bunch of ways to invest time and money into this game. That's exactly. And those yeah exactly the uh, and like those those parts of the game aren't bad, but the the uh, the pace of stamina and the pace of accruing gems and the low chances of getting good monsters in the gadget, those things are bad. So uh, I, I recommend this game as spending zero to one dollars to see uh, monsters on your phone, but don't really recommend it beyond that. Zero to one dollars out of zero to one dollars. Um, Brian or mm. Nicholas, have you as a, have you been bitten by the gotcha bug, or like are you I... going to get into Tactor? I have never really been able to get into like the gotcha games, even when I've been excited for them. Like there was that uh, saga, uh, the saga franchise oh, yeah. gotcha that I was, I love that franchise, but it's, Dan said good things about it. It just feels like this. I, I feel like if I played one gotcha game, that's, that's pretty much every gotcha game out there. You, you do your polls, you level your guys and it all, it never really feels like it amounts to anything. So I feel like it, Everything just loses steam really fast for me. Like yeah, it's kind uh, of the right thing to stick. Yeah, like I, I need I need more pushing me forward than like, oh, I got a rare resource, so now I can bump this guy. You know, now his attack is plus three more. Like I know that's you know your basic tenets for RPGs in general, but like, they never really feel like they have yeah. weight to them. It's got to have the story to support it, or some sort of pvp element to support it the only time i've gotten into a gacha game besides this was a few months um getting into final fantasy brave xvs in oh i don't know in probably 2016 or 2017 oh, yeah, ar- 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 around when, yeah around when that was new and the story in that game was actually sh- shockingly good for being a mobile phone gacha but the uh really it's just incredibly slow rpg project uh progression with elements of uh of like playing a slot machine that makes me wonder if i have a gambling problem or not that that, that that's the that, that's the <laughs> overall was feeling it was xps like traditional turn-based or is rather because it still exists uh, yeah but basically it's um it's you, your final fantasy characters line up on the right side to defeat okay. enemies lined up on the left side I get I confused he, by like because there's also Opera Omnius, and I think I was melding the two for a while. And yeah, yeah Opera Omnia is city is a Dissidia spinoff, but and and, uh, and right. then there's and then there was a second Brave Exvius that launched I think last year. Yeah, and that's the one I'm pretty hardcore, and it's the only gacha game right now that I play on a daily basis. Right, uh, I was it, surprised at uh, 
at how much complexity was in Brave XVS for a gacha game. Usually they keep those games pretty simple, but I remember when I tried Brave XVS, you had your six party members, equipment, magic, limit breaks. It's a lot for a gacha game compared to the only one I've ever really gotten into was Fire Emblem Heroes. Uh, and that game's a lot simpler, so I was surprised when I tried XVS. Mm. Yeah, War of the Visions is also pretty complicated. War of the Visions, that's, that's the name of the second uh, Brave XVS that I couldn't remember. But the... Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's there's so many gacha out there, and, and I think the reason that there's been such a glut of them the past several years is because they they make money, and uh, it, like because they'll catch a couple whales and catch a couple casual players and last a couple of years until people lose interest, and then by that time they're ready to make a new one. And yeah, um, that's a good quick cash grab. Yeah, well, well. I mean, it's it's not they're not that quick, but it, it, because I, I think there's there really is a lot yeah there really is a lot of effort putting into the good ones because it's a it's a competitive space. But uh, I like Dragon Quest Tact. I, I don't think that I, like when in the moment of playing it, I don't think it's a bad game. But I think it is bad once you if you get too deep into it and you see how slow the crawl is after you get through the initial story mode and spend all and spend most of the free gems they give you. It's a uh, so I don't know how much longer I'll play it, but right now I, I just like having it as a time waster and looking at my at my, at my dragon lord and great dragon and probably <laughs> other dragons, uh, just you know, uh, dancing around on this on the victory screen. How many uh, advertisements for Raid Shadow Legends have you watched to get free currency? None. But when I was playing <laughs> uh, a couple years ago, when I was playing the mobile version of the zombie RPG Sunny, I I, uh, I watched a significant number of Raid Shadow Legends commercials. <laughs> uh, but, but I remember yeah, the, I bought into it for a bit because there was a cross promotion, and I was like, "I'll get some free jet visions," but it was like just far too much time investment to. That was yeah, like, no. I, 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 uh, I, Dragon Quest Tactics doesn't have advertisements, but if you play a mobile game with ads or watch certain corners of YouTube, you know a, a more than a casual amount about Raid Shadow Legends, which is maybe <laughs> the most generic yep. game, name for a video game I've ever encountered. It is, was surprisingly fun, but I just didn't need more of that. It was just, yeah. I like War of the Visions. It's it's pretty great, and we'll talk about it more in another time, I'm sure, because it's uh, coming up on its one-year anniversary, and it's it's giving me a lot of free stuff, and I like it. I just want Ramza back. It's all I want. I had an error on mine where uh, there was an update error that essentially blanked my account, so I had to restart, but because I hadn't linked my account to my Google account, all my stuff was lost, so I had to basically restart which sucked, and I lost a bunch of my Final Fantasy Tactics characters I had gotten from those promotional events. But I got Cecil right now. He's pretty badass, so I can't complain. Which one? Uh, it's, is, uh, is he a Paladin or a Black Knight? Okay. It's Paladin one. Uh, any rate, uh, and to our new fellows on the show, uh, what have you been playing? Uh, Brian, what's what's going on with you? Yeah, I just finished Yeast 9 over the weekend, uh, which oh, was oh. actually my first Yeast game, so that was pretty cool. Uh, I loved the gameplay. I thought that was awesome, especially as you got later into the game and some of the bosses started to be more unique and needed you to change up the gameplay a little bit. Uh, In hindsight, I wish I had played on a higher difficulty because I found on normal mode, you get to a point where you don't really have to engage with the mechanics of the game. Like you get a character that has a big spinning attack and I could just use that to kill everything after about 10 hours. Um, but the gameplay was still really fun. Uh, the Grimwald Knox sequences, which are the, the big new thing in this one, where you go into a portal and fight waves of enemies, were fun the first couple times, but there's a lot of them. I think you do more than 20 by the time the game's done. And 
they keep adding little things to it. Like you get allies that do attacks every so often and structures that give you little buffs. So by the end of the game, there's like 14 things that go on every few seconds and it becomes really visually cluttered. Um, but overall, I thought the gameplay pretty much carried the game. Um, the story, I think the story of Falcom games are getting a little formulaic for me where we have all these chapter-based games where it's you start a chapter, do a bunch of side quests, and then a main quest. And I think that works for the Trails of series because most of these chapters are in new locations where you do these little side quests, like you help a shop out and you're learning about the culture of this new area. But in Yeast, you're pretty much in the same place the whole time. So these side quests just don't really escalate or get more interesting from the beginning of the game. So by the end, I was really wishing I could skip them. Uh, but you have to do at least some of them. Um, yeah, so I found the, that to get a, a little dull by the end. The, the trailsification of the East stories really began in uh, in East 8. And 8 and 9 definitely feel like a Cold Steel game. And I think it's because the, the Falcon producer that runs Cold Steel took over East around that time. But I, I, I basically agree. Like, the... the uh, the East Nine story is really, really awesome in like the last two chapters, but for the for three quarters of the game, it's uh, let's do some side quests. So here's a new corner of the city. We got to do some Grimwald Knock stuff, and I mean the the art the shopping district isn't that much different from the main district kind of uh, kind of deal. But the, but once you get to a dungeon and get into the the um, the combat of East, that's the that's the fun part of East Nine. I I, uh, I finished the game. Uh, about a month ago, and and uh, and wrote the RPG fan review for East Nine. Um, and, but I thought it was like, 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 like the action parts were great, as as Brian said. But it, it drags a bit when you're uh, when you're stuck in 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 the city and doing one too many Grimwald Knox segments. Yeah, I also think that Yakuza Like a Dragon has ruined side quests in other games for me. Where in that game, you get repeating characters in side quests. Side quests are sometimes like two or three quests long and you get a little story in them. And I just hate going back to games where you're doing like the rescue a cat from a tree type side quests that are totally isolated from everything else in the game. (laughs) To be fair, Kiryu has rescued many a cat from many a tree. Oh yeah, it's not about what you're doing. They just make it interesting <laughs> in Yakuza. Yeah. But when you rescue cats in Yakuza like a dragon, you eventually get to summon a giant tiger into battle with your cell phone. So that's and worth it, it. That's a bit more of a reward than whatever cat rescuing you do in East Nine. I'm, I, I don't remember. Is there is there a cat in East Nine? You know, I think there is a cat you find, right? Uh, that was just an example. I, I don't remember a cat. The, no. the most egregious one I can think of was um, the one where you're just finding the the decorations for the the city which isn't that bad in a vacuum but it comes right after a really fast-paced scene where i want more of the story and then they're like go find decorations yeah i think i rescued a cat in the other game i'm playing right now and that and i was conflating those by mistake i uh yeah it sounds from what i've heard there is a definite formulaicness to uh east as it kind of has been going over the years uh mm, that, that that that's an exaggeration uh but it like East Nine, it it just feels like it's spinning its wheels for a little bit in the like when you're just unlocking more of the city in the middle of the game. That I uh, I I think that East Nine has an awesome story for like the last couple chapters, but drags around the middle. But oh, I ca- calling it formulaic, especially when the uh, each East game 
really feels different from its predecessors, and uh, East has gone through sort of three different eras of gameplay types. I, I, I mean, calling it formulaic is... I, I wouldn't use that word, but uh, but East 9 does feel a lot like East 8, and you are stuck in the in this, you know, um, fake version of Paris for uh, for most of the game. It's... I mean, I mean, I mean, have you, have you played any recent East games, Greg? No, I haven't. I've just been what I've been hearing. That's all. It's all hearsay. You could keep going and play the first one. Just like really, really dive into playing the first installments of all these classic RPGs <laughs> since you finished the Zelda. Well, I feel like was it the first one of East that uh, you should be avoiding? I forget now. Um, I I mean, uh, maybe I think the first East game is one of the worst ones but it's only okay, like I it's think a, I had it, heard that from you. yeah okay. it's it's only like three or four hours and if it as a history lesson That's it's not, not so bad it, it's not so bad but as a uh okay i mean i i mean i i would play most of the other east games before going to the first two <laughs> good to know i'll take the recommendation uh what have you been playing nicholas before we get into the episode proper uh i'm going through a couple of things right now um on the minor side i'm still working through the first neo um, I have no idea why it's taken me so long to get through that game. Uh, I mean, I got it when it first came out, and it's just been a crawl. I will play it for a little bit, and then I will just put it away for like a few months. And I, I think part of it is I'm, I'm a huge Dark Souls fan, and I think the real like beauty of those games is in its world design where like everything feels kind of interconnected and you can be way out in the middle of nowhere. And then all of a sudden you'll open a gate and you'll be like two thirds back to the beginning of the game. And it's like, how did they design it like that? Um, but yeah, I do love Neo, that aspect of the soul stuff. Yeah. And like Neo is, it's just kind of stage based. So, you, you know, you pick your stage and you go through, I mean, it's still neat. There, there's like minor aspects, but it's all, very self-contained. So do you think it's more of an issue, I guess, like with expectation for you? I, yeah, I think probably my main issue is that I'm, I'm trying to compare it. I mean, it's difficult not to compare it to a Souls game because that's the obvious inspiration on it. It handles every um, other way like it. But I, I think it's just not as gripping. Like I'm not as invested into the world lore as I am the Souls series. So it's very easy for me to put down put it on the back burner and come back to it later. It is very accessible. Like I pick it back up and within 10 minutes, like I'm, I'm back in and I know what's going on. And I, I would contribute that to its, you know, stage like design. Cause if you don't remember what you're doing in dark souls and you come back to it three months later, you're lost. I don't, I don't know a lot about Neo. I, I know that it's, the Team Ninja uh, Koei people that made that made the modern Ninja Gaiden games, but I sort of felt like this is a Souls like um, that's set in a sort of uh, samurai like like um, Japanese demon kind of aesthetic. But then the real Souls team made Sekiro a year or two later, and that and people seem to like that more. Is, is that an, is that an unfair perception? Well, I haven't made it to Sekiro yet, um, but I can almost guarantee that. From, from everything that I've heard, it's it's a more well-designed game. And I would be willing to bet it's, again, because of the world, like, um, you know, speculation because I haven't played it. But I imagine it's one 
huge interconnected world again versus pick a stage and go there. Right. Um, and uh, Neo is based off of real world history. Um, it is based off the like Sengoku era of Japan, but with just like demons at it. And I guess the demons come because uh, there's this dude from England. I don't want to get into the story too much for anyone that hasn't played it, but the the arrival of a particular person, I guess, brings these demons out. It's not it's not Commodore Perry, is it? Uh, no, but that okay. would be interesting. <laughs> um, but that's kind of the the back burner game for me. The main game I'm working through is Yakuza Five. Um, oh yes, please tell us about Yakuza Five. And uh, I've actually been just like blasting through the Yakuza series. Uh, my my recent love for that series started with Zero, as I'm sure most like well, I won't say most, but a lot of people's did. That's that's what happened to me. Uh, but I did play the originals back on PS2, and they were rough. <laughs> um, but when I found out that you know that series uh, kind of persevered throughout the years and it fell off my radar, and I picked it back up, I absolutely love it. But uh, I, I feel like Yakuza Five is uh, very interesting in that it feels like everybody has like a side job <laughs> and like, like Kiryu is a taxi driver and uh, Sajima is like a hunter in the mountains. There is made... so much content in the game. It's mind blowing. Oh, it's massive. And like, it made me realize I, I could play a game that has nothing to do with the Yakuza. It could be built on the Yakuza engine and it could just be weird jobs in Japan. <laughs> and I would love it. Like the, uh, I totally did not expect the like hunter in the mountains bit for a Yakuza game where like you're in this remote isolated village and you're like hunting for food for this village and like they don't trust you and you like eventually win them over by like, that's how you do it. You got to win them over with bear meat. Yeah, exactly. That's how I married my wife. We live in Canada. Uh, (laughs) Now it makes sense. (laughs) um and uh i I think i'm about halfway through uh i'm I'm playing as a haruka now oh don't 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 uh, i'll tell you what salosi's on the verge of playing this when salosi plays it both of you come on and we will talk about this section for the entire episode (laughs) okay i I, i'm also going through a yakuza journey right now but i am just early in yakuza 4 before putting it on hold uh for podcast games and uh, and other site related things. Gotcha, Nicholas. Yeah, I, we we will talk about this. I promise. I I don't know. Actually, just <laughs> I've tell heard me how a bit about feel. it. It's pretty funny. Just tell me about how you feel about it. How do you feel about her section? Uh, I I'm enjoying it. I, again, I think it's the like bizarre jobs. Like I was not expecting it, um, and I was like, okay, this is very different. Yet I'm entertained, and like. Mm-hmm. My, my real goal is to get to Like a Dragon. Like, I still have to work through six. And I, I'm thinking of undertaking the monumental task of 100%ing Yakuza 5. Because I'm really enjoying that one. Like, surprisingly, because most people gravitate towards Zero. And I thought Zero was really good. I think I, I made it to, like, 55% completion rate on that. And, like, for anyone that doesn't know... Completing a Yakuza game 100% is just a daunting task. 
you'll have to play a, a lot of mahjong, a lot of shogi, uh, a lot of um, you know uh, East Asian gambling hall games. Uh, it's very meta. Not 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 just and not just that. There, it's. I think I also hit around fifty-five or sixty percent on Yakuza Zero, and that was that was me playing a game for seventy hours, so and not even touching mahjong. So I can only imagine what you're in for, Nicholas. I feel I, like you'd want to go down to your local community center with like your TV and like your PlayStation and just set it up for the ladies and be like, "Have at it! I'll be back in like five hours." So I long as Solosi uh, doesn't one hundred percent a Yakuza game, we know is that his gambling problem is under control. Essentially, very true because I don't think. I don't think you can play this game without gambling some. Like, I'm pretty sure at times they force you to sit down and be like, all right, now you're going to play uh, Blackjack. Well, I don't know if Blackjack is ever... I know there's several games where you you have to sit there and it's, like, related to the story to get through. Uh, yeah, th- you have to do some Chohan uh, gambling in Yakuza 1 or Kiwami 1. And... Uh, there's a big shogi sub. Uh, there's a shogi sequence in Yakuza Two where you have to infiltrate a shogi parlor, but I think uh, and solve a shogi puzzle. But I don't think they make you play. I um I don't think they make you play either. I think you just show up there and then people start shooting. Right. Yeah. But you definitely have to play Chohan, which is which is, I could be getting the name wrong. Which is basically odds or evens with uh, knives pointed at your hands. Fun fact: I actually learned mahjong. Because of the Yakuza series, <laughs> I hear it's a wonderful game to play. If you I know feel what like you're, you're doing. not alone, but yeah, that's uh, that's my my two things recently. Really looking forward to to like a dragon. Like I played the uh, the demo um, on the Japanese PSN. Ever since then, I was like, well, I can't wait for this. And I also just desperately hope that the uh, the studio. I can't remember the name of the studio currently, but uh, Ryu Gagotoku Studio. Yeah, please, please, please release Ishin and Kenzen in the West. The, the, those yeah. are the those are the two uh, samurai games made by the same studio, uh, set in Kyoto hundreds of years ago, and uh, with Yakuza characters from the modern games basically taking on new names and identities. So, like, like basically Majima's in those games, but he's a, a different. A different person but with just the same face and actor but yeah uh, and they were ps3 games that came out in the late 2000s early 2010s they uh, especially the second one uh look pretty incredible but i i uh, i'm not sure they've ever sniffed a western release before but but now that it has a new level of popular of popularity uh, that could happen uh, so there's there there is hope there was but, some news about it a few weeks ago actually um the uh producer said that uh, there's a possibility that they can't they might be released in the rest but they need to be remade and not just ported mm. okay. uh, now I actually I agree with that for uh Kenzen because it it's it's basically on the same engine as uh as uh, yakuza 4 uh three and four which you know are playable very playable but it's certainly not like cutting edge uh Ishin is on the same it was the first game done on the yakuza 5 engine which eventually was also did zero and uh and um kiwami one kiwami one yeah kiwami Mm -hmm. one so i think that is a very playable i still think those are playable games and also there is a fan translation that is in the works for it um that's apparently quite a ways along um now who knows whether or not that'll actually happen because that's the kind of thing that happens with fan translations but if it does happen oh i i will i would be very excited we can only hope yeah 
also it has some of the it has some of the best the coolest looking heat moves i've ever seen i've watched some of the heat moves on uh on uh youtube and it's uh, especially with uh, his his fighting style with the gun and sword at the same time i i think that's only an ishin but i but i i know what you mean those those do look cool mm. yeah the point is there are there is more yakuza out there that we don't have our hands on yet but you want and, it yeah i know that's the same thing as like ace attorney <laughs> it's just they don't really see the point in releasing uh games that are specific towards the japanese audience to western audiences because they're afraid to lose their shirts and they might be right about that yeah are, are you are you still hard. holding out hope for the uh the the psp black jaguar games <laughs> uh the first one actually got a fan translation it just got released a few weeks ago it, that was the, I think that was the first time I'd ever even heard of them was seeing the news pop up about a fan translation. It's a, 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 they're they are made by the Yakuza team, uh, Ryu Gagotoka Studio, but they're about a like punk kid in Kamarocho entering uh, like pit fighting tournaments. Oh, as they so, do. Yeah, so so like I think all the fights are arena fights, but it's a, uh, but it's it, it's a weird, cool looking thing that I'm not sure I I need to play. But I'm now that I'm a a born again Yakuza fanboy, uh, I'm at least curious about. But that gives me bouncer vibes. Yeah, it, it, in general, there is uh, there is fan demand within the community for Kenzan and Ishin, but maybe not for uh, Kurohio or Black Jaguar or whatever whatever they're called. Yeah, um, Nicholas, what are you playing them on? Out of curiosity, are you playing them on PlayStation or PC or I guess uh, Xbox? Play- PlayStation. Okay, PlayStation versions. Mine are on the PlayStation as well. Um, although Six and Judgment are coming out in just a few weeks on the PC. Yeah, I don't think is... I have a computer good enough to run that. <laughs> I mean, you have a PlayStation, so you don't need a PC. At least not for Yakuza. Yeah. Well, that's everything I guess everyone's playing at the moment, aside from uh, what uh, we've all been very heavily hinting at, and I'm sure the title of this episode will have given away at this point. But uh, we've all been playing some RPGs with underlined titles. Um, But we had all that pile of news that got dropped on us, uh, was it now, three, four weeks ago now, and there's a lot of good things coming up. Uh, We're not going to go too much into that, but one thing that uh, Square Enix dropped on us was the Project Triangle strategy demo uh, back on February 17th. And yeah, if you like your underlying RPGs, it's it's shaping up to be a good one. I mean, it looks like strategy octopath, for lack of a better comparison. You you can't really call them underlying title RPGs because Bravely Second does not have an underlying title. Oh, it doesn't. No, only Bravely Default, Bravely Default 2, Octopath Traveler, and the new Triangle Strategy do. But so I guess I, that makes it more of like a, a side I, adventure, I guess, with End Layer? Uh, sort of. I mean, uh, I, I refer to them as Team Asano Games because uh, Tomoya Asano is the, uh, is the exec producer on all of them and, and also was on the FF3 and 4 DS remakes and, uh, uh, oh shoot, what's it called? Um, uh, Fire, Final Fantasy IV Heroes of Light. But yeah. uh yeah 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 we're, we're the the topics we were dancing around were triangle strategy and bravely default too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um but yeah has everyone had a chance to or t- uh, has anyone wanted to try the triangle strategy demo? Yeah, I loved the uh the triangle strategy demo. I was really excited of it from the announcement because uh I have a mild fire emblem addiction. Uh so I love when other <laughs> strategy RPGs come out in between releases. Uh, and I loved Octopath too, so I was very excited when they announced this. 
It's it looked great, and I was super excited to finally get into the demo. Uh, it took me a couple days, but yeah, I'm, I'm I really liked what I've played of it so far. Um, I know Wes LF brought up some of the accessibility issues with color blindness, and uh, I could see where that could be an issue with like seeing things on the map. Map, but otherwise, it's very neat. I have to admit, I don't. I haven't played it yet. Uh, I probably will at some point. Uh, my immediate impression with, of it, like just seeing the trailer, was not as positive as I was hoping, because. Oh, hang on. Yeah, I'm just bringing up a. I'm just bringing up a video of it here so I can. I can look at it. Um, the thing that really blew me away when I first saw the uh, Project Octopath Traveler trailer years ago was that it looked like it looked like how I remember a Super Nintendo game looking, but it it, it wasn't. It was like you know it was the H it was two D HD graphics, and yeah. uh, it, it was just absolutely gorgeous. And when I look at this. I'm not, I, it really does resemble a, I mean, it resembles tactics. It resembles Final Fantasy tactics, which looks really, really good. But there's something about the art style that I just don't find quite as impressive in a pseudo 3D space like hmm. the tactics games has. Um, whereas the solid pixel art 2D slash 3D environments of Octopath Traveler just blew my mind. That's this fair, is entirely this is entirely me being super shallow because again I haven't played the game yet I've just seen footage of it and I mean it, do not get me wrong it does not look bad but the the style of Octopath Traveler in a 3D space I feel like almost takes away from the uh takes away from the effect that they were pushing with the original game but I might be wrong about I, that. I get you though, yeah. Yeah, if, I mean, having played the demo, I would agree with you that the presentation is a small step down from Octopath. Uh, I still think it looks good, but I don't think it looks quite as good as Octopath. Same with the the soundtrack. At least what we have in the demo is good, but doesn't quite reach the uh, admittedly lofty standards set by Octopath. Right. Yeah. This to me, this looks like a. It almost looks like a uh, a late gen PlayStation game. Whereas Octopath Traveler obviously looked, you know, intentionally was looking like a Super Nintendo game on modern hardware. It feels kind of like like the best version of a pixel version, uh, like an older version of um, in the Fire Emblem series with like, yeah, trying to marry the 2D and the 3D before the transition to a full 3D environment world and character mm. base. Well, I mean, I mean, the, the isometric camera angle makes me think Final Fantasy Tactics or Tactics Ogre ahead of yeah. Fire Emblem. And especially since, like, uh, to be very, very reductive, if Bravely Default is updated FF3, Bravely Default 2 is updated FF5, uh, Octopath Traveler is kind of an updated, like, like, uh, like so, romancing yeah. saga because of the because of the multiple characters and the intertwining paths then this is right. really clearly an updated tactics ogre because and, and and maybe this is fresh in my mind because i played tactics ogre let us cling together for the first time uh, uh last summer but uh just the way that the camera angle sets the way the cameras uh, the, the characters animate and uh the different choice elements battle to battle really make this feel like a tactics ogre pastiche and uh nikki fakuri wrote a um a really nice preview uh in in february when this game came out and that uh that is is positive but i agree that just the way that the hd sprites looked in octopath traveler and the way the uh um the the, the like like the city spaces were in 2d but for more like a were, were more like sort of diorama style where you were sort of 
where the uh, the buildings popped a little bit more, I agree, does look a little bit better than the than the isometric angle buildings in uh, in Triangle Strategy. But again, this is just a demo following a trailer that we got in the Nintendo Direct about a month ago. Uh, and they're this, asking for feedback. Yeah, yeah. The, the final version of the game probably won't quite look and feel like this. I, I think Bravely Default Two feels considerably better than its than its early demos as well. Yeah. So. Uh, so again, it's cool that they're making this, uh, especially cool for strategy RPG fans. Whether you're uh, you have a, a whether you have an FF Tactics background like Greg or a Fire Emblem background like Brian, but uh, it, it's th- this is promising and gives us at least something to look forward to yeah. in 2022. Kind of an observation on the uh, the graphics. One, one point, I, I only played the first battle in the demo, and I and I skipped the story because I know this is eventually a game that I'm going to want to play. Um, and it kind of drops you into the middle of it. So I feel like I, I don't want to know what's going on. I just want to check out the game for what it is. Um, I will note that things feel darker, like uh, Octopath Traveler. There's, you know, you have these shimmering coastlines and like light kind of playing uh, like little rays coming in. And I feel like the graphics engine, obviously very similar, if, if not you know, well, it is the same, but like, uh, I feel like they're they're pushing for more of a a, a darker aesthetic. Yeah, because everything felt like indoors and very torchy. And then uh, that first demo fight, you're on this like bridge and it's raining. And, you know, that kind of ties in with uh, you know Final Fantasy Tactics was very like dark, brooding game. It felt very um, much like that, yeah, that opening church sequence. I kind of had those vibes. Yeah. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to hold out and hope there's, there is some of those like shimmering because that's where the graphics engine really shines is when it can just like uh, really dazzle you <laughs> with the, uh, the, the, like, the landscape. And, and also something we're missing is the gorgeous uh, like sprite work in the battles that uh, Octopath oh, Traveler yeah. had. Because now we're dealing with, you know, just just the, you know, regular regular sized people. Um, yeah, not that's the big what, flashy bosses and monsters and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I definitely get where you're coming from, where, like, the graphics is not as impressive because I feel like we're kind of missing pieces of that, of what that engine can do. That's well, fair. It, it, in Octopath Traveler, the world was basically a large pizza sliced into eight slices, and each slice <laughs> and e- yeah. e- each slice was a different biome, with the monsters get and uh, getting tougher and the town shops getting more powerful as you move towards the crust. But uh, one one of those slices was the um, uh, w- was the sort of uh, winter area of the game where where Flames Grace is one of the towns, and I think that town had uh, the sort of dimmer lighting uh punctuated with lanterns and fireplaces with, with, with that kind of lighting but and the like like the beach area has these beautiful shimmering waves and the, there's much more brightness in the in like the uh in like the highlands area and the and the desert area uh where this this game is only just uh like like two or three um sequences worth of content where it is, it is all sort of dimly lit and 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 it, like it doesn't look bad but i think that um like if you know the complete experience of Octopath Traveler, then comparing it to the demo of Triangle Strategy makes uh, it makes Octopath seem way way prettier. 
but mm-hmm. uh, but but I, I I would withhold judgment on how everything about this game looks until yeah. it, until it comes out because again it's it's more I think it's more than a year away, but at, at least it's a it's a very it's a very promising demo and it's cool that they dropped the demo minutes after announcing the mm-hmm. game. That's a that, that that's a that's a boss move. It's a very Nintendo Direct thing to have. Uh, one thing I will say that I really hope does get fixed, um, and you may have dodged this bullet by skipping most of the story, but uh, Sarah Noah. Oh my gosh. I mean, a lot of folks in our Slack at RPG fan were complaining about the voice work. Overall, it's okay, but Sarah Noah, I cannot forgive. He is phoned in AF. Like, he is, <laughs> he is not committed to any of his lines. Um, and, like, speaking as an actor, like, you could just hear that. There's the odd one that's a while. I'm like, oh, there. That was actually good. I believed him there, but everything else, it's like, hey, yeah, we should fight for our rights. What? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. The voice acting definitely, um, I appreciate that it's fully voice acted. Yeah. Because I don't always like it when RPGs do the thing where just the beginning of the text box is voice acted. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, some of the some of the performances are better than others. Yeah, know, like most sure. of them I'm pretty happy with, but him, I, uh, maybe that is because Sarah Noah's actor is just so, again, phoned in. And maybe that is symptomatic of what they were trying to put together during a pandemic and what the limitations were. I don't know, but it just do better, man. Yeah. Part of it for me too, is they write in this old English style. And I really don't like it when RPGs do it. It's part of why Hanit's story was really frustrating for me in Octopath um, where they write in like this Shakespearean way, right? Uh, and I just I find it off-putting personally. Uh, I don't mind it so much as long as like they're committed to it, and as long as they pronounce things properly. It does sound a bit weird since obviously traditionally we're used to hearing it with an English accent, and when it's North American accents delivering the words, generally it's it does sound a bit odd. But I don't know. I don't mind it if they're committed to it and they do it well. It's just when they don't pronounce things properly that I'm like. Ugh. Didn't do the work and the research. But I get you. It, that's something I think has rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, too. Mm. You know what has some good, good... You know what has some really great acting in it, though? Uh, I mean, a lot of things, but I think the next game we're talking about, which I was going to... Yeah. Bravely Default 2? Is that what you're going for? Yes. Yes, it is. I could bring up Yakuza <laughs> again, but let's go with Bravely Default 2. <laughs> we could. Let's go back to... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Back February 26th now uh, was when we got Bravely Default 2 finally... Uh, has everybody here played Bravely Default or Bravely Second? I have only played about half of Bravely Default 1 and the demo for Bravely Default 2. That's all you need. I have not played any of the series. Oh, you newcomer, so hopefully we'll, we'll convert you. And I think most folks know that Solosi is a big fan, and Jono went through his whole uh, travails with it uh, last year. Yeah. Was that last year or was that 2019? It was 2020, believe it or not. <laughs> I uh, played each of them the year they came out, and uh, but I bought a th- my 3DS in 2014. So uh, I think Bravely Default was the first or second game I bought for the 3DS. It's a good game. I mm-hmm. Yeah, I jumped on Bravely Default right away. Bravely Second I didn't pick up for many years later, and then I've only just started dabbling with it because I got bitten by the bug for uh, Bravely Default 2. And yeah. Uh, I mean, the voice acting is great, but uh, the, overall, this game so far is is so good. I'm I'm just I'm loving it so far. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed the demo and what they're presenting. It feels like some stuff got sharpened up a bit from that demo, 
and it's just a great game so far. Um, so, Lose, you're playing it for the site. What's, we'll let you kind of take the lead here. Sure. Um, well, I finished the game of a few days ago, so I, uh, I, I know the, uh, the sort of subversive tech they, uh, they do with the end game. Um, av- avoiding spoilers for the previous ones, uh, uh, because I know our, I don't know how much of them our listening audience has played. But basically, these games are, are, uh, uh, turn-based, RPGs with job systems that have a lot of similarities to certain early Final Fantasy games. I, I, I think Bravely Default is a lot like FF3 NES in some ways, and Bravely Default 2 is a lot like FF5 in, so, in several ways, because you're collecting elemental crystals. They Each uh, each one of your characters is a hero chosen by the crystal, but in Bravely Default 1, uh, combat is round-based, with each character getting one action per round and planning around each uh, around each round of combat. Well, in Bravely Default 2... Like four warriors of light or whatever. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Final Fantasy IV: Heroes of Light was a Final Fantasy spinoff by the people that would eventually make Bravely Default. But that 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 game was for DS, and uh, all of the jobs were little hats called crowns. And it's, <laughs> it, it, there's a, there are a lot of similarities, but um, or there is a through line from Four Heroes of Light to Bravely Default. But it's uh, they I think they've made some meaningful steps in uh, yeah. in going from those. But uh, but also Bravely Default One and Bravely Second. Both have random encounters that you can adjust with a slider, whether you want them all the time or turned off completely. While Bravely Default 2 has enemies visible in the field that you can uh, maneuver around or try to strike to get an, uh, a jump on them, like a lot of oh I don't know, like a lot of recent Tales of games or uh, or um, Persona games from three onwards. Uh, Super Mario but, and Luigi, Superstar Saga. That's what I thought. Sure. <laughs> uh, it's a me, Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh man. Elvis might be the standout in this game. You, you, the four main characters are uh, Seth, Gloria, Elvis, and Adele, uh, who are who, who meet very suddenly, um, semi-randomly, but then they go on a rescue mission right at the beginning of the game uh, that, uh, that uh, eventually has them teaming up as four destined heroes uh, that are trying to save the world from a vague threat called the Knight's Nexus. Like and a D and D campaign, yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's so much like Final Fantasy V. Like, like the uh, you you go from kingdom to kingdom. Each kingdom is has a some kind of issue with with uh, with one of these elemental crystals at the center of it. Um, the the in chapter of like you sort of meet all the characters in a prologue. In a, uh, but then the immediate chapter after that, chapter one, is a desert town that's been mysteriously flooded. And it's like, oh, the water crystal is somewhere uh, flooding the town with its water supply. They wanted it to be the water supply of the town, but now it's uh, it's gone out of hand. And you sort of have to like find the crystal and right the wrong of the town, uh, going town to town until the story sort of uh, broadens around a central theme towards the end. I'm, I'm trying to avoid spoilers here. Yeah, but that but, makes sense. Yeah, but in general, it's a find the crystals, unlock new jobs, uh, and and like play around with turn-based mechanics and um and this really fun job system, and oh boy, is the job system fun, and oh boy, does the game throw some challenges at you because oh yeah, espe- yeah, especially in uh, I, I I don't know, I think I think it got a little bit easier towards the end of the game where like I think I was getting stronger at a faster rate than the bosses were getting stronger at one point. But around chapter one, two, three, there are some genuine, genuinely challenging turn-based fights in this game. Um, what difficulty did you uh, do your playthrough on? 
I, I did it on normal. I I always sort of uh, the first time I went through a game, I always picked normal, and then gotcha. if I really really want to replay something, I'll consider going up to a higher difficulty. But I went uh, hard, and I found it really challenging. Even just that first Asterix battle, uh, like I scraped by. I had to wait for like the the white mage to run out of MP, and then I finally started making oh, wow. headway. That's how it was. It was tough, but I like it. But it brings a lot more strategy, I find. But then I went down to casual just to try and make progress for capture, and even then, fighting the bard was was challenging. I I thought that the um, again the only playing on normal. I thought that the first couple asterisk fights weren't a problem at all. But then the uh, the the beastmaster asterisk I think was the first time I died and starting started having to restructure everything. And then from there on, ah. I think almost every story fight I died. I I either struggled too much or died once, and then had to had to retry or maybe not all of them, but for several of them. Uh, can, can I walk through one fight where I thought, I thought was one of the hardest just to give you an idea of, of what was going through my brain? Yeah, you please? can. And folks, spoilers, uh, if okay, just uh, up, jump ahead if you need right. to. Sure. There is a boss fight against a berserker and he, uh, a lot of the big fights in the game are against basically villains holding a job crystal called an asterisk. And after you beat them, you get their asterisk and can use that class. So this is for the berserker crystal. Or, or Berserker Asterisk. Um, I scan him at the beginning of the fight. See, he's weak against uh, water. It's like, sweet, I can have my Black Mage cast a Blizzard spell, and that'll do great damage. And so I, uh, so like maybe my second turn of the game, I throw a, a Blizzard spell, and then it says counterattacks. Uh, this is wa- uh, water damage, oh. super effective. <laughs> um, boss counterattacks all water skills with huge with with Crescent Moon, and then he wiped out my team in two hits. Oh. So like, so. It, <laughs> So they like I basically like gr- tried to grab the cheese in the mouse trap by seeing he was vulnerable to water <laughs> and then getting and then having and then like breaking my fingers on it. It's uh it's neat having those though. It definitely adds a really a fun little wrench in the strategy. Yeah, so then revisiting it like all right, so I'll look for his other weaknesses because there's a uh, there's like six weapon types and seven elemental magic types in this game and every enemy in the game including all the bosses are weak against at least one or two things. Um it's like okay, I'll try to hit his other weaknesses. Maybe, uh, maybe, I, I just, but I can't hit him with water with water spells. Otherwise, he'll do this giant counterattack. And I, uh, I, I did some setup things. Like uh, they, they I, I think you had recently gotten the Bard, Beastmaster, and Thief jobs before fighting Berser- uh, Berserker. So it's like, oh, okay, the Bard skills are pretty useful in this game for boosting my defense. And um, and Beastmaster is pretty useful because you can use the Muzzle skill to try to lower his attack. I think, and like, and, and that was helpful. But I. Uh, um, but, but by scanning him, I realized, and, and trying to struggle my second time fighting him, I realized that, oh, he has the berserk status on that increases all of his damage by 50% and also makes his, uh, reduces his defense by 30%. So I, I think I died that time also. But then when I, on try three or four, I went in with a pl- I ch- adjusted my jobs, went in with a plan, boost my defense with a bard, use a freelancer skill, Called purge to remove his berserk status, so he was taking a oh, lot, clever. a lot less damage, but also, but also dealing way less damage. So I could, I could, my, my white mage could, uh, or my my person using white magic could heal to match the damage he was doing instead of getting overpowered all the time. Um, and it, 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 the, and and I eventually won. It took I think four tries, but that's the kind of these are the kind of boss fights they give you. Um, Ones that are pretty challenging, sometimes based around a specific gimmick, but they give you so many tools in this powerful job system to like to suit your team and adjust your team 
for each fight. And I did a little bit of grinding in this game, but I, I don't think the grind is that necessary because uh, they give you so many tricks to uh, both to level up quickly and deal with um, every encounter. Uh, and, and again, the one of the defining gimmicks of the Bravely games is that you can use a uh, uh, the command Brave to take an extra turn. Um, or the turn, or uh, or whenever you defend, you use a command called def- default that gives you an extra turn that that banks a future turn. So you can uh, use brave at the beginning of a fight to take four turns in a row, but then you're gonna skip three turns, getting back to a neutral brave default state. But if you default twice if you in a row, defeat them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if you, if you didn't defeat the enemy, if the if the battle's still going on, but if you default uh, multiple times in a row, you can build up points that allow you to take. That allow you to brave multiple turns in a row without that penalty. So, but enemies can do this too. So, in that berserker fight, I I was maybe struggling a little bit, struggling a little bit. But then, um, he took four turns in a row and wiped out my party. And uh, enemies get pretty crazy with their brave and default mechan- mechanics and their countering mechanics. Like fights near the end of the game will be like, I'll, I'll uh, uh, like um, enemies will get an extra brave point anytime you use any ability, or enemies will counter with poison every time you use a healing spell. Like the, the the countering mechanics get so out of hand that by the end of the game, every enemy in the game is taking three or four t- three or four turns in a row Ugh, because of, really because caught of me all. Off guard. Yeah, because of the, all the brave they're accumulating. But but anyway, so this game throws challenges at you, but makes the char- but gives you this fun system to play around with around with uh, that makes all of these challenges surmountable in a way that feels really uh really uh satisfying um and again for most of the fights in the game i would lose once change my strategy go in with a new approach and then finally win and it was it's super fun i'm i uh, I've I've beaten the game. I've started writing the review. Hopefully, the review will be up by the time this episode airs. But it is going to have a mostly positive tone, except for a couple uh, visual and quality of life elements that I think are a little frustrating. Uh, Jono, we, we talked about this separately off air a little bit. Yeah, uh, there are a few sections of the game that feel there are things that feel like they are well missing. Um, I'll give you a good example. The I think it's probably the best example. There are side quests in this game, quite a few of them, as a matter of fact. Um, you, including finding a cat. Including finding a cat, which is the most, the fastest, most anticlimactic side quest might be in the game. <laughs> it really was. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the cat is like in is like one building over or something. It's it's a it's a very uh, straightforward cat locating quest. Yeah, but it was so drawn for, out for like just story purposes. Yeah, it's more for comedy than anything. And that's what, you know, there are side quests in the game that are literally fetch quests. It's like, here, go here, pick me up this thing, bring it back to me. There are side quests that are character specific where you learn more about your characters. Um, And then, yeah, and those are obviously my favorites. Um, And then there are, you know, monster fighting side quests. There's a whole bunch of them, is my point. The thing is, they're all numbered. So you have like side quests one, two, I don't know how many are in the game, probably about at least over 100, probably 150. Um, they're all numbered and you can keep track of your up to, is it three? You can keep track up to three side quests at a time, uh, in your travelogue with markers. You can have more in there, but you can only keep track of three with markers. Um, after you complete a quest though, it's gone. You have, there is no side quest tracker. So I'm not entirely certain why they're numbered, because you can't actually see what you have completed, how many you have left, which ones you still need to find. Um, unless you know, you're that's like not, manually keeping track, I guess. Unless you're manually keeping track of the spreadsheet, um, which I guess you could. 
Um, I tried. Yet, and then I, I got... You have your spreadsheet? <laughs> I have not, but uh, there are some enterprising people on a number of game forums and re- and subreddits that have made spreadsheets because because of the <laughs> lack of this. They, and, and and similarly, if you're trying to collect every weapon or every piece of armor in the game. Um, the spreadsheet will only fill out for the ones you've completed, so there's no way of knowing um, how many there are until you get the last number in the list. It's it uh, like uh, and and also like things like there's a mini map for going around um, the for going around the world map, uh, which is just a single continent. Um, but no uh, but no map in the menu for uh, to, to see the entire region, and no mini maps in dungeons. Um, it, this it feels like that there's it feels like things like the UI and quality of life elements were underdeveloped or have pieces missing. And that's a little bit upsetting. It's not the right word. A little disappointing because of just how uh, insanely robust a lot of those features were in Bravely Default and Bravely Default 2, especially like the diary. Yeah, it sounds fa- like that's just a little lighter now. Yeah, Ringabell's Diary, I thought, was a extraordinarily useful tool in those games for keeping track of... Whoa, well, spoilers, you know. it was D's. No, he ca- he was carrying oh, it around. Oh, actually, no, he does give it around, that's right. Well, I thought you said he was just what he found. No, no, Ringabell's carrying it around, but it's called D's, it's called like D's Tome or D's Diary. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean his diary, not in the sense that it's his diary writing stuff down, and I mean his diary in the sense that it's his, he's the one who has it in his pocket, and he's the one who references it. Right. Um... But like in the in game, when you go into menus, like that thing was a treasure trove of information. And while this game does have you know a lore section, which thankfully has a section that helps you keep track of the cards you've collected from the card game, which is something we'll get into, I suspect. Um, <laughs> uh, it doesn't have anything for you know the, the side quest weapons. It, it's just it's it's a little weird. There's how many little emissions there are in this game of quality of life things that you don't. I don't like obviously. I haven't designed the game, but it just, it's, they're just not there and they feel like they should be. That's fair. Yeah. I hadn't noticed that there wasn't that in the lore section. I haven't really been looking at it. And and the thing is, this game is so good about communicating things to the player. Mostly Uh, like when you go into each page for a job or a sub job, it, it, it like it, is pretty clear what every ability can do and 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 how different il- abilities can interact. And in battle, if you go into an info screen up for either the player or the enemy, it'll show you every single status effect that's happening, every boost that they're under. Uh, like it, like it'll really communicate what is happening in battle. That's how I was able to tell that the berserker boss um had the berserk status and had to try to figure out a, a way to get rid of it. And I really but, like that feature. So you having to try to remember and reference it that way. Yeah, the game yeah. really does. Uh, the game really does uh, incentivize you to use examine or magnifying glasses uh, to examine enemies in a way like those are always options in like Final Fantasy games where you can okay you can to see how much HP he has left. But in this game, they really are okay. If you do this, you're going to learn their weaknesses. You're going to see their MP, their HP, their MP. You're going to have all this information for future battles. So and you can always reference it. Yeah, good idea to scan them. Yes, but it's weird that this game is so good at communicating information and really makes that an effort. And in this game, uh, the menu is also a book, but it's a uh, it's uh, a diary left by one of the characters, uh, Elvis's mentor, instead of um, just being mysteriously in the possession of of one of your <laughs> of one of your characters. 
but the uh, it, it's so good about communicating information sometimes and so bad about communicating it other times that it was annoying dealing with map stuff or side quest stuff or item list stuff that I, I feel like this game, this is the kind of thing this game should be awesome at, but it's a little bit of a letdown in because almost everything else is great. Uh, the story is kind of a, a, a little simple, a simplified version of find the crystals, prevent the calamity, but it's a really fun version of that. Uh, you, you fight, I think, let's say 20 to 22 um, exaggerated NPC uh, bosses uh, over their jobs, and uh, and after you defeat them, a lot of them ha are uh, have dedicated side quests to learn more about them in future chapters. And I think the online fandom is uh, can't decide whether uh, Martha or Anihal is the more precious cinnamon roll, but I, I'm I'm partial towards the big mustache night boy Lonsdale. Um, <laughs> the like, but, but these uh and and briefly default and briefly second also had asterisk holders as major boss characters and as colorful NPCs, but I think that they're sort of better written in Bravely Default too. Like I, I really I'm are. really liking I'm really, really liking the uh uh let's say the the large majority of the um of the asterisk holder NPCs and the ones that are really malicious villains, I mean, they're they're just they're they're despicable. Like I, I am once uh, the evil plot takes shape in each of the first three towns. You really want to knock the daylights out of the uh, out of that boss, especially. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, right, Jono? Oh yes, I do. Yeah, yeah like uh, what's going on in in Wizwald and Rhymedall uh, and, and to a maybe lesser degree Savalon. It's like, oh, oh the, the, I I need to murder these people. This is the worst. Um, but uh, so like the character work is fun. The story stuff is fun. Bravely Default and Bravely Second famously have, uh end game twists that chain that are very subversive about the nature of what playing an RPG is <laughs> that uh, are, are, are pretty exciting. The, when you first encounter them, I'm again, I'm trying to avoid spoilers and that happens a little bit in Bravely default too, but not quite as, but not in quite as a time consuming way and not quite as a, uh, as a mind blowing way. I think it's like, like the end game stuff in Bravely default two is there and it is pretty cool, but it's not quite as mind blowing as the, um, as what goes on in the previous two games, but it's still fun. Like uh, this game ha is mostly a vehicle for this fun uh, turn-based combat and job system that is evocative of Final Fantasy V. So specifically, to me, is the game that I, I think about it about the most with uh, what's going on. Yeah, as you um, mentioned it, that yeah, I've yeah, it, it especially since like I mean, each character is identified by one of the crystals as they're as they're chosen and. Um, and, and I love the main characters. Like I, I think Elvis and Adele are completely delightful. Oh, um, yeah. Seth, Seth is a slightly more interesting version of Tiz. Gloria is a much less annoying version of Agnes. Cause uh, again, both of them are, um, uh, women mo motivated by, by duty and attached to the crystals and very focused on the journey ahead. But Agnes got a little bit annoying and Gloria is less annoying. Is, is it, my yeah, personal her self righteousness could be a bit much sometimes. Yeah. A little, uh, and, stupid. Gloria never feels. Yeah. <laughs> Gloria never uh, feels like she's. She thinks of herself as above anybody else. Yeah. And Anya's did feel did communicate that a little bit uh, yeah. in Brave in, in the first part Brave of her Default. Yeah, yeah, part of her journey was was acknowledging that and realizing that she that uh, the organization she was part of was a was part of the problem, sort of. But but, but um, it, it's a little bit simpler in Brave Default too. Mm -hmm. Gloria is the princess of a fallen kingdom, and is and uh, and it's her sacred duty to recollect the crystals and prevent uh, a calamity from occurring again. But uh, 
the visuals in this game are a little interesting. Um, I, I think they've had a mixed reception among fans. Um, the backgrounds and, uh, and like textures of the world are quite beautiful, but the character models are a little over smooth. Like, like you made a diorama with real bits of dirt and wood and leaves collected from the forest, but then you have these, uh, like, like, but you populate the diorama with dolls that are clearly plasticky. Like, like it's, it's, it's that kind of, like, like the, the character models do not have the same richness as the environmental background details, but, very uh, claymated. But the costumes of the different jobs oh, are so, so cool. I love playing dress up in this game. It's awesome. <laughs> um, and the, uh, like, like, uh, the, in the thief asterisk, uh, the, the two male characters are, have these like elaborate gaudy, um, robes and bandanas while the two women are dressed like as, uh, like, like in sort of society dresses, like, like, like they're, like they're infiltrating a party and robbing everyone blind. Yeah. They look like they're and, about to break into a casino. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and the Swordmaster job in Bravely Default was a, was samurai themed and focused around counterattacks while in, uh, in Bravely Default 2, it's sort of like Scottish Highlander themed. Oh, dope. With, uh, with, with, with like with like barbarian furs, and instead of being only about counters, it's a stancy dancy job with uh with, with either multiple attacks in one stance or counters in a second stance. So it's it's kind of like a bravely default one stamp, uh swordmaster mixed with a bravely second fencer, um, and uh, but like the job designs and costumes are so cool, and that was that was my favorite part of the game. In case my ramble rant hasn't already made that clear, <laughs> yeah, it's it's shaping up great. Uh, before we go too deep further, though, I wanted to ask Brian. Because, Brian, yeah, you've only played the demo bit, uh, and I'm sure some of this might be whetting your appetite now for more, and we're also trying carefully not to spoil Brave the Default for you if you do go back to it. But, uh, yeah, what is what, what was your vibe, I guess, coming out of the the demo? And did you play the most recent demo or the first one? Um, and what was your vibe coming uh, out the of the most The most recent demo. Gotcha. So you um, got yeah, almost the shape of the game. Yeah, yeah. And my experience with the demo was more positive than I expected. Bravely Default has always been an awkward series for me because I love the way all of the marketing assets look, uh, and then I get in the game and I hate the character art style. Um, just doesn't do it for me. Everything else is beautiful, but I, I just don't like how the characters look, and it's like a Almost big problem chibi, for me. Almost but not quite. Yeah. Um, but I like everything else. The combat system especially is neat. One of my favorite things about it is this is one of the only RPGs I've played where when you get a description of a move, it gives you actual numbers. And I love that. I feel like when I play RPGs, you look at a move and it's like, this attack does big damage. Whereas in, in default, it's like, here's a number that you can look at and is more tangible. Um, and was something that was something that annoyed me with Project Triangle too. Is when you look at the stats and the abilities, you don't actually exactly know what they do. You just vaguely know what they do. And in a game genre that's kind of based on strategy, that's always bothered me. Um, yeah, it's fair because how are you? So yeah, to it's plan? definitely yeah. So it's definitely a game I want to play eventually. Uh, the first Bravely Default, the story also didn't grab me, which is why I stopped halfway through. Um, so I don't know if that's better in the second one or not, or if maybe just it's not the series for me. I'm not sure. But I do want to try the second one at some point for sure. I mean, it feels more interesting to me uh, this time around. I find it's between the acting, the drama, and not just the voice acting, like the model acting is a lot better too and a lot more engaging because they, they just have more to work with, with the, a more powerful system and engine to play around in. But yeah, just the moment-to-moment -moment scenes are much more engaging. The characters are much more seemingly invested in what's going on. 
So that grabbed me a lot more, and maybe um, that might have been something for you. Also, uh, significantly a lot less cringe and creepiness uh, in this cast and uh, in the story, <laughs> as was in Bravely Default. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone in this story is quite as annoying as Anya Bell in Bravely Default. And, the, and there's a lot less silly campfire what are your favorite foods chats like there were in bravely second um uh, bravely second wasn't as well received and i think asano even apologized for it at one point or around the time octopath traveler was coming out um but uh i i would agree the writing in this game is a little better than bravely default one but also i i feel like maybe this is uh related to the disappointments and quality of life and ui stuff uh this game did uh did get delayed at one point and they were finishing development through pandemic times. So that might've affected, uh, that might've affected development in a way that, uh, why, why this game feels slightly underdone, um, in terms of polish, because also, I mean, I, I played it, I don't know, probably 75, 25 handheld versus console. Cause I, I like playing my switch in handheld mode. Um, and I wanted this to feel like, you know, the the previous Bravely games I played in handheld mode. It does chug but a little bit in handheld. It does. It chugs it, a little bit on console, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, like even just going from menu to menu or opening a party chat window or something, It uh, sometimes there are multiple seconds of delay, which is not the snappiness you would uh, expect out of a, out of a Nintendo-exclusive game. But, uh, but, but I mean, I, I hope I'm... Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, selling this game po- in a mostly positive way because I, I had a lot of fun with it. I, uh, I liked the characters, thought the story was at least enough, but to just have a lot of fun tinkering around with this job system. Uh, towards the end of the game, you unlock. There's a lot of optional boss fights and endgame challenges that drop really cool equipment that let you even play around with the job system more. Nice. Avoiding spoilers, and I've, I did, I did not all of them, but I, I did like, I think, um. I think I did six out of the seven special ones, and then none of the end game super bosses. So there, there's still more to play after you've uh, after you're way too power uh, too powerful for the final boss. <laughs> See, it's a funny it's a funny thing. I think that this game, I like I said, I'm at the I'm I, I'm at the, I'm in the end game right now. I think that the battle system actually gets better the further into the game you get. Um, I've been finding, especially with some of these end game bosses, that they have been providing me a real challenge in a way that, you know, just what you were talking about earlier, Slosi, which is, you know, you, you go in, you get your ass handed to you, you have to go back out, you have to respec, you need to re- figure out, you need to go through your abilities and figure out, okay, maybe this could counter this, maybe this could counter this. And I find that to be a lot of fun, um, making it a bit more like, a, not a puzzle game, but it's like every battle does, is a bit of a puzzle to try to figure out which skills yeah, counteract. strategy. Yeah, it's a, it's a very strategy system this very, time very around. Well, speaking of strategic system, Greg, have you gotten into the card game yet? No, <laughs> I have not yet. I was trying to look for it because I, I know I'm around that part. But I'm uh, I, I'm working with Any Hall right now and going down into the caves and such. But I feel like that's close at hand that I'm going to be encountering Bernard and trying to work towards the thief or the gambler or whatever it is. So uh, I feel like I'm going to get that. You are pretty close. Uh, maybe one or two dungeons from where you are now. If you just go into the gambling hall, you'll see the uh, the gambling lady, and she'll teach you the card game. Nice. Yeah, yeah I'm excited for, for trying that out because I've heard good things from both of you. Uh, and I also like, uh, speaking of minigame aspects in this thing too, uh, which you didn't really touch on, Celosi, yet, was uh, both in Bravely Default 1 and 2, there was um, an idol 
management game that gave you bonus bonuses. Uh, and now you got one that you really don't have to manage. And I, I really like it. I like it. <laughs> yeah, you, you meet a nice old lady that gives you a boat in a, uh, in, in the, at the beginning of the game. And um, when your game is in sleep mode, you can have the boat go out and collect items for you. And they're it's, very it's useful. A, it, and, and they're very useful. A lot of the time, their experience, they're, they're experience or JP uh, boosting orbs or stat boosting yeah. buns. But the, uh, the, the key thing is it doesn't work if the game is turned off. It has to be in sleep mode. So don't yes. exit out of the game entirely if you want to have your boat go out collecting items for you. Because you can you do it for a max put, of 12 hours. Yes, correct. It, it caps off collecting items and events at 12 hours. So, uh, so again, sleep mode. Don't turn it off all the way if you want to use the boat. Mm-hmm. I just like the idea that in between this massive world-changing adventure where, you know, Seth and his friends are trying to save the world from this evil, Seth's just, you know, heading out on a boat, going on these really boring ventures, looking for treasure on an island, that kind of thing. It's like his... He is, he is a shipwrecked sailor, and that is most of his character backstory. <laughs> yeah, which is surprisingly, I mean, again, I haven't finished the game yet, but not really, uh, not really talked about in comparison to all of the other characters. Gloria, Elvis, and Adele have much more uh, exciting story backgrounds than Seth does, but it's <laughs> he's just it, thrown it, into it. It, it, mm-hmm. it is addressed somewhat uh, towards the end of the game. Well, I have to imagine, yeah, considering early on the big story moment around him and the crystal and why he could be chosen. So I'm hoping there'll be more about it. Uh, Nicholas, yeah. uh, you could probably speak better to this, I guess, than the rest of us. And how Mike was worrying that he may or may not be selling the game well. Uh, you haven't played any of them. Why? And like, is Bravely Default to you appealing to you in any way, or are you just kind of like, eh, whatever? Um, well, I will say a job system is very appealing. Good, um, you're a good I've person. Enjoyed... We can stay friends. <laughs> I've always enjoyed that. Uh, I think, for me, my first uh, real game where there was a lot of job options was actually Dragon Quest Seven, um, which had, like, um, maybe almost too many jobs. Like, there were some jobs that just kind of seemed... Uh, just thrown in there for the hay of it that didn't really add anything. But I understand uh, this game, it's like 12 or 13 jobs or something like that. It's 24 jobs. And, oh, okay. um, and uh, you uh, sort <laughs> of every, every, ch- every chapter gives you, I think three or four. And, um, and when Elvis joins you in like, in, at like at it, maybe 20 minutes in, he comes with the, the black mage uh, asterisk that was left to him by his mentor. So you, you start out with freelancer and, and black mage, and then you find uh, you find nineteen from story bosses, and then three uh, and then three from option from optional story bosses. So well, that's a lot total less of the is, total of twenty four previous ones, but still. Cool. Yes, correct. In in Bravely Second, I think there was only uh, there was thirty of them, but only twelve were part of the story, and the other eighteen were optional. So in in this in this game, you get almost all of the jobs playing the story normally, and then to unlock the secret best ending, you have to find the three optional ones as well. Gotcha. And sorry, you're saying Nicholas. Yeah, so uh, most of the time we've been talking here, there's been a lot of comparisons to uh, games that they're like, such as Final Fantasy V, um, you know, the whole uh, crystal aspect, uh, and there's apparently a card game. Um, So I I will ask, what differentiates this series from, you know, uh, just another Final Fantasy or something like that? 
Well, these are Square Enix games, and they use a lot of Final Fantasy imagery de- uh, deliberately. Like, like Phoenix Downs are the reviving item, and there's white mages and black mages and red mages, and uh, and a lot of traditional Final Fantasy jobs, plus a few that are sort of more uh, its own deal. But I, I think the defining characteristics are that these are these are old school JRPGs deliberately that uh, twist the mechanics of what a JRPG is with the brave default system and with everything that the different jobs can do. And, uh, and, and then also with the very basic mechanics of what an R- of what an RPG is avoiding spoilers. There are twists about, uh, um, about like, uh, people in your friends list and how to, s- and how you save your game at the end of, uh, of the different bravely games and, uh, and, and things that like, like they, they are, unabashedly old school 90% of the way, but then they mess with mechanics with this deep job system and mess with RPG conventions with the story twists and the, the weird crap that happens at the end of each of these games. And, uh, but I don't think any, and as crazy and fun as the job is, I don't think anything is quite as crazy as like, uh, Jono, I know you played Bravely Second recently. Did you ever experiment with, um, uh, an exorcist ghost build? <laughs> no, I don't think I have. <laughs> but, okay, just to, just to, how much can you break the game with it? <laughs> oh, oh, the, well, that's the, the point the, of these games. It's yeah, it's, you do want to, you do want to, <laughs> you can figure out job combinations that will just break it to pieces, mm-hmm. and that's part of the fun, really. Uh, uh, basically, the Exorcist build is uh, is is you equip, you equip an Exorcist ability that lets you cast um uh, spells after you die because when you die, instead of becoming a corpse, you become a ghost that can cast spells. Uh, but but can't attack or brave or default. So you have you, basically the game wants you to just sort of re- give you a chance to revive yourself um, as a ghost. But if you equip another ability that uh, give, makes all spells zero MP if your health is below ten percent, then it basically turns you into a mage ghost with infinite mana, and you can break oh, the game gross. by having <laughs> by having three three infinite mana super ghosts by putting them into a powerful mage class like summoner or wizard or something. Uh, and then give them the ectoplasm uh, exorcist ability to make them ghosts. And then have your fourth character, the tankiest knight or templar or guardian possible, just so they're unkillable and your ghosts can cast all the spells they want. Because, because if you if your uh, team becomes four ghosts, it is a game over. But uh, okay, gotcha. So yeah, so uh, like there's nothing quite as gross as exorcist ghost infinite MP mages, <laughs> but there is there are ways to really shatter the game and then reassemble the pieces into something really fun. We actually had a conversation. I, I don't I don't know if it was you and I, Slosi, but it was somebody when we were talking about when I we were talking about Bravely after I played in 2020, earlier in 2020 in the I was trying to I was I needed an escape from the world and I found a very good run in the Bravely series. Um and I postulated that with Final Fantasy for uh is it Four Heroes of Light? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, 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 that's the DC the DS game that is kind of a bravely zero. Yeah, it's kind Maybe of a bravely zero. Video. It's almost the mm-hmm. prototype, but with that, bravely almost reminds me of a uh, like a parallel universe version of Final Fantasy, which continued down the road of uh, Final Fantasy four, five, and six for the Super Nintendo, and didn't go the way of Final Fantasy seven, eight, and nine on the PlayStation. It's kind of like an almost an alternative evolutionary offshoot of what final fantasy is um and like today we have final fantasy uh we have the final fan we're waiting for 16 and 15 was out and that it's a very very different game than uh it was back in the days of the super nintendo system 
Whereas the Bravely the Bravely series feels like what would have happened if those games had continued to develop with new mechanics and new ideas uh, in almost like the 2D realm with almost like the overhead classic uh, style of RPG. So I, I consider it to be you, you, you. Your question was why would you play these games? Basically, instead, like you know, it's like Final Fantasy V or it's like Final Fantasy III. Why would you play? these uh, the, the bravely series instead of those games it takes those ideas and just continues them in many ways it feels like a, a sequel to the final fantasy in the in the classic sense that every every final fantasy game builds on the mechanics of the previous one while not picking up on the story yeah like for nicholas and anybody else who's curious about the series it's yeah it's that it, it's it's that comforting nostalgia and then that they distill kind of into the story and the simplicity of the world uh, and the stakes in a lot of ways, I, I find it they're probably a bit more dramatic, and part of that's just what they're allowed to do with the performances of the models and such, uh, and the breadth of the story. But then having more flexibility in the combat systems, like in the core ones where you can even adjust the encounter rate for what you feel is necessary at the time. In this one, it's more, uh, as you get more powerful, enemies will run away from you, so you can just kind of avoid combat altogether. They have the equivalent of like... Uh, repellent to kind of keep monsters away so you can still have some of that flexibility in how you want to encounter things but then having all the various ways even in battle to like some moves will cost you um brave points to use some moves will cost you the mp as you would expect some will cost you hit points so there's a bunch of different diversity in how you can manipulate the various classes to all work together to make really interesting builds like the gross one that Solosi just described from Andalayer. And 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 in Bravely Sec in Bravely Default 2, the one we're talking about now, there are job skills that that take away the MP or BP costs of different skills or will ha let you spend MP instead of HP on skills. Like there's it, to build upon the point job John Jono was making it's like the uh, the designers of this game. Maybe I could uh, I, I could subscribe to Otour theory Otour theory and say it's Asano who's doing this. Is they have a lot of nostalgia for that era of RPG, and they're trying to make games in that style, but with an inc an, an unreal amount of depth of mechanics and and modern design sensibilities that are still very simple to grasp too. Yeah, it, it, like, once you mess around with braving and defaulting for a minute, it's like, oh, brave lets me take extra turns, and default lets me save up future turns. And it, it, it's very easy to understand once you start once you mess around with it a little bit. Yeah, the meta manipulating the equipment and some of the skills and abilities and how those uh, can help you, yeah, break things, that's where it gets a little bit more heady. But even then, like, it's still pretty simple to uncover these simple, fun things and just go, ha got a new thing, I'm going to wreck the world, you know? Okay, I mean, one thing I didn't know was the uh, the combination of job classes. That's a really cool concept. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that was the best part of tactics is mixing and matching. Yeah, you, you equip one job, then you equip a second job as your sub-job, and each job has two passive specialties and learns, I don't know, between eight and ten abilities, and then between one and five passives, and you can mix and match them all together. And uh, and the tinkering of jobs and job systems um, is really, really fun. I like that there's a lot more flexibility in the passives in these one and this one as opposed to the original two too. Like there's just a lot more you can invest in it out the gate. In, in, and in the first two, uh, each job's passive specialty was just a, a, an ability you could equip later. But in this, in Bravely Default two, specialties are separate from passives, and there's a way to pass job specialties between each other that is 
not the same way as uh, as as skill passes. There's a lot of tinkering and job manipulation that uh, and and when you start getting into end game special equipment, Jono knows what I'm talking about. You can break it even further. It's great. Mm-hmm. And then there's the uh, the other thing I did like the the quality of life that kind of makes things a bit snappier in this one too is you don't have to buy all the spells and such, which it reduces a bit of the money grind a bit. But they're also not giving you all the bonuses like they did in the first one. So I I appreciate that as your your mages learn spells, they just they get the spells. You don't have to go track down the store to buy them. And you can also choose like another good quality of life thing for battles is you can also speed up battles and slow them down to its yeah. regular pace for grinding and things like that. I do miss the classic um, uh, repeat system, though, where you can just kind of autopilot it. Like, you have to trigger it in each individual battle in this one, which is kind of tedious. Oh, but yeah, in, 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 in Bravely Def- Default and Bravely Second, you could program how auto battles worked and, uh, and, and just play the game almost without pressing any buttons. But in this, in this game, the there is grind. no auto battle. Yeah, there is no auto battle programming. You have to at least press Y to repeat their previous action. Um, it, it's... Again, that's something that I felt like could have been in the game, but yeah. uh, is f- feels like a missing piece, and it might it might be because of pandemic development environment. That's possible. Can we also agree that overburden is annoying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, there, there is an equipment overburdening system that is annoying, and the uh, accessories that have negative uh, bur- overburden stats are really really great because they let you equip all the heavy armor weapons you want. I like it. Yeah, I mean, something that's missing for me, which I would really like, it was, I don't think this was in the prior Bravely games, but I, I really would have liked a, uh, where you can actually do uh, presets for jobs and abilities and even armor, so you don't have to be constantly going in oh, and switching. Yeah. Kind of like out, a 14? Uh, yeah, and switching out abilities, so you can have like, okay, here's here's a party that I use whenever I'm fighting a mage, here's a party that I use when I'm fighting primarily uh, physical, like that. I thought that would have been a really nice quality of life thing, just yeah, to have like cool. party presets, like saving loadouts. But the, the, that that yeah. would have been very welcome in this game. Yeah, I agree. Because I do find myself, especially in the late game, going in and uh, changing a lot of things uh, on a regular basis. Lots of tweaking. The audio equip in this is just a crap. Shoot. No, it's 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 useless. Yeah, like, useless. The, the, totally useless. The, pressing the auto equip button is normally a starting point in other games and for this it's a, it's a mistake you don't want to press auto equip <laughs> no uh, it, the worst is when it like if i have dual equip if i have dual equip uh as an ability uh and i have it i have that ability equipped and i hit uh i hit auto equip just to see oftentimes it'll give me the strongest heaviest weapon and the weakest lightest weapon in the other hand which is right. useless or they'll give you a shield anyway <laughs> or they'll give uh, you a shield anyway exactly yeah. it, it's 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 crazy it's um do you, do you have uh, and Jono? I, I know you're near the end. Uh, maybe just to cap off this discussion, do you have a favorite job? Do I have a favorite job? I really like Phantom. Phantom's up there. Uh, uh, Phantom's definitely in my top three. This game does not have a ninja job, but Phantom replaces it and does a lot of extra fancy things oh, with cool. it that are that are pretty awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you if you put uh, if you want your, I think it, I don't know if it's the biggest damage hit in the game, but if you take your Phantom and you equip the thief sub job and you. Use the thief sub jobs, uh, one of their most advanced abilities, Godspeed Strike. Godspeed Strike. Godspeed yep. Strike came back. Mm-hmm. Good. That's it so is broken in Bravely Default. It's it is like it so is maybe broken. your best damage option for like the entire middle third of the game. It's it's really good. It's ridiculous because it, it calculates your damage based on speed, not your attack. Although that does matter, but it off speed. So you just you equip Phantom, which has unbelievable speed. You use Godspeed Strike. 
and it will attack them for whatever you hit them for, and then a turn later for that amount of damage again. So if you Gross. have yeah, so if you have the ability to like break the damage limit, you can hit them for tens of thousands of damage. Uh, it's it's fun. Like we said, <laughs> breaking the game. I, I uh, just uh, for my own. I mean, Phantom would have been one of my choices for this as well. Um, but I think one of the most fun ways to break the game is to get real weird with the red mage job. Yeah, uh, that's a good because, one to break um, with. Yeah, uh, uh, once you get it to level twelve, the specialty becomes chain spell, where you just cast every spell equipped to it twice um, for no extra MP. <laughs> and then you, and then there's a it, it gives you one of the abilities late in the game that uh, allows you to use HP instead of MP for spells, so you can use MP as like a as MP for other reasons, and the uh, the other weird shout out I want to give is the Spirit Master job, which is really different from the Brilliant Vault One Spirit Master. This Spirit Master can basically you can summon passive spirits so that heal useful. that that either heal your MP or HP or cast a, a group life spell every every I don't know every two or three turns. That like it basically just they found out a way to give you passive regen and passive healing with a, a job dedicated to it. Um, that's really, really fun. So, so yeah, like th- th- that's just a taste of the depths of this job system. One question for you just before we wrap this up uh, about perhaps, yeah, the idea like the pandemic development and such and the nature of this game uh, and how there's only like three bonus, three bonus asterisks. This game could potentially lend itself to having DLC. Do you think we're going to see that? My guess would be no. Um, if if there was DLC, it could be costumes or similar. Um, Bravely Default did have a uh, again. This is in twenty twelve to twenty fourteen. But Bravely Default one did have an entire second version of the game um, that was released, like kind of a, a like a Bravely Default two Royal. I'm sorry, a Bravely Default Royal, as you would. But it was a but and and the version that the West got was the second upgraded version. Oh right. Um, which better yeah. led into Bravely Second. Right. And so I, I think that because uh, Silicon Studio doesn't do a ton of that, maybe, probably not. But if they did DLC, that was like a special cave with a new asterisk at the end of it. I, w- I would at least look at the price because uh, right. because c- the special uh, the special boss fights and the uh, and the the job system are two of the big selling points of this game. So it already feels like pretty much a complete game. You're not really missing or wanting more story wise. No, and I mean, somebody, some, I don't know if I would be among them, but some could claim that Bravely Second was much more like a piece of DLC for Bravely Default. Right. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they went that route, actually, if the next sequel to the game was a direct sequel to Bravely Second. Bravely mm. Fourth, uh, I guess. Bravely 2.2. And, and also, <laughs> Bravely Default 2 does not really have any connections to the previous games, other than things no. like jobs and and the concept of asterisks. So if they were to do like a DLC episode that tied it to the um, other worlds of oh. Bravely, I, uh, I I think that's possible. And the way they frame the game towards the end, uh, it, it, it's possible. Yeah. Um. That that that, that there could be other worlds or other stories. Ring a bell shows up at the end of the game, being like, "You want to <laughs> like, join the Bravely Initiative?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Put on this bikini. No, no takers. Damn it. <laughs> Try this in 16 other realms. Didn't work there either. Uh, at any rate. You're 18 uh, in the West, right? <laughs> <laughs> As we uh, round things out here, um, 
just to rope Brian and Nicholas back into part of this chat, uh, Brian, what's one game that you think would be fun with a job system? Doesn't matter if it's an RPG or not. Uh, I used to be really into the Halo series, and I feel like you <laughs> could do a job system there with the different types of covenant. That would be fun. Do uh, I guess I don't know if they they maybe came up a bit in the tactic game uh, for better or worse that was uh, Halo Wars, but uh, yeah, that, that could be really neat. Uh, whether it's an RPG version or not, I guess you're just kind of class changing. That would have made me made uh, online multiplayer a bit more interesting, kind of more like Call of Duty esque. Uh, same question for you, Nicholas. Uh, so this one might be a bit of a cop out because it exists now, but in my in my brain. It didn't exist yet. The first thing that came to mind was the Yakuza series. And then I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I have something to look forward to. <laughs> In Yakuza Like a Dragon, you literally go to the job unemployment office to change jobs. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, so, Losi, what's a, what's a game that you would love to play with the jobs from? Sure. Um, now, my, uh, my simple answer is Mega Man. And my elaborated answer is, imagine a Mega Man game where when you beat a boss, instead of gaining their weapon, you gain a job, and the job is something you can level up and combine with other jobs and tinker around with the specific skills with. So you can, like, almost combine the two weapons, which I guess we haven't really seen in a Mega Man game, have we? Um, Not really. Like, uh, you are... Uh, some Mega Man games let you equip weapons and still use your mega buster at the same time right but no none none that let you sort of combine different weapons into other in into others like, yeah, like I, i'm just imagining blade. a mega yeah i'm exactly i'm imagining a mega man game that has jobs instead of weapons that you collect from bosses and jobs being something you can customize and level up more so than a traditional mega yeah man you get like their programming or whatever and you can unlock the programming and that'd be that's dope gosh the sure, new mega yeah. man legends please <laughs> Um, but new better. Mega Man X, please. Oh, there we go. Mega sure. Man Legends can say in the past. I played. I played those for a podcast and was not impressed. Fair. I mean, well, whatever. A new, better version of that, I guess, is what I'm thinking. But yeah, sure. it would work. I guess as the action <laughs> platformer too. That'd be a pretty cool system as well. Um, and Jana, what's uh, what's your vote? Okay, it wouldn't work in the context of what the game is, but in a crazy parallel world where we have an Ace Attorney RPG. I would a job system would be very very interesting where you can like your defeated opponents on the court in the courtroom you can get their jobs because there's a bit of crossover between the overblown personalities of Ace Attorney and the overblown uh, villains of Bravely Default. That's fair. And Ace Attorney has better death animations for those villains. Ace Attorney has the best death animations. Maybe the best death animations in video games. That some of them are downright amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am honestly now just super stumped at what the hell I would want to pick because uh, we've had some really good answers. Mega Man uh, was almost there. There's a weird part of me, I guess, that kind of wants to do like a Pokemon where you get different Poke jobs because there's always so many different characters uh, and NPCs that you interact with in Pokemon that are like different jobs, Pokemon breeders and stuff. It'd be neat if you as a Pokemon trainer can take on those Pokemon jobs and it gives you different bonuses or stuff that you can apply to your pokemon team i think that'd be pretty oh. sweet oh you know what would be an amazing game to have a job system go on a, a genuine sequel to mario rpg <laughs> well yeah, yeah we talked like about you, that on uh, when tooker was on yeah so you could like you know you're fighting you know you, you could get like a job dr mario you could get his like construction worker outfit 
<laughs> yeah, Mario Kart. Like Mario. All from from back in, yeah, no, yeah, from back in the Wrecking Crew days. Yeah, all yeah. of the all of the costumes from Super Mario Odyssey could just be different jobs. I mean, you can almost just do a Barbie RPG now for all the friggin' jobs she's had. I believe that Barbie is actually one of the most underdeveloped like the sheer potential that Barbie has to be a pulp hero is ridiculous. <laughs> she's a polymath. Oh she's liter- She's a polymath who literally does everything. She's a race car driver during the day. She is like a heart surgeon at night. She'll fly the plane to get to the hospital. Like she's, she's Buckaroo Banzai. She's like multiplicity except instead of, um, Oh shoot. Blank on the actor's name. I would love to see like a pulp adventure series starring Barbie and her friends. Buckaroo Banzai is Peter Ware, right? Robocop? Uh, yes. Yes. Right, yeah. So, yes. Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. Now, there is a cult movie. It is a bat crazy <laughs> film. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it's crazy. I, have, I haven't seen that thing in 10 years. I should go and I should see if it holds up. John Lithgow is so good at it. <laughs> and with that, it feels like uh, that's the end of a random encounter because <laughs> we have gotten truly random now. Uh, you can, of course, listen to us, all the backlog of episodes. Uh, where you find us and uh, you can also listen to other podcasts uh, like Mike Solosi over here is on Retro Encounter which we talked about and there's a whole lot of Retro Encounter you can go listen to right Mike? Yeah I'm I'm not 100% sure when this episode airs but uh, Retro Encounter will be around 278 279 episodes by then so there's there's lots of that to listen to we finally have Rhythm Encounter back our uh, fearless site leader Mike Salvato is helming that and uh, you've got plenty more episodes to listen to now with new music uh, the most recent episode was that the one you were on John or has there been one now since uh, I think it's the one I was on yeah okay uh, I think we're a little, be- no, it's not we're a little behind no no we're a little behind right now uh, Jono and I recorded an episode on the music of Bravely Default and Bravely Second right. that should be out, that should be out later this month we'll have a very Bravely month for y'all mm-hmm. uh, Hat and Eric are fun affiliates with the Phoenix Edge podcast you can go listen to that I just about said the Phoenix Wright podcast but I'm sure that exists somewhere uh, and then finally uh, otherwise you can catch RPG Fan on Instagram Facebook YouTube Twitter we're kind of everywhere. You can email us at podcast.rpgfan.com if you want to talk to us about anything, give us feedback, complaints, ask questions. That's what we're here for. Uh, but otherwise, for myself, for Jono, Mike, Nicholas, and Brian, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Have yourselves a swell time. Bye now. Be seeing you.